Hello, and welcome to Maine Education Matters with Matt and Matt. I'm Matt, and this is kind of a strange episode today. Well, no more strange than our other episodes, I suppose. But what, what I'm doing here today is this just me today, and I'm here in Augusta at the Burton Cross Building. And yes, for you faithful 17 followers, I am currently sitting in the Cross Cafe uh, as I'm recording this, having a lovely cup of coffee. And what I'm doing today is it is uh, October 28th, 2019, and I'm here to participate or listen to the public hearing that's going to be happening on the proposed rule changes to Chapter 180. For those of you who have been paying attention and following along, that's part of one of our favorite topics, which is PEPG, or Educator Effectiveness. If you remember back to the last session, there were some pretty significant changes that happened uh, into the, into the uh, Chapter 180 rules, into our PEPG plans. Um, and so one of the things that has to happen is once those laws go into effect, then it becomes a rule up to the Department of Education to figure out how those rules are going to change. What are the, how are they going to make the new the rules of the PEPG stuff make sense with the law? How are they going to make them all line up? You'll remember back LD92 was one of the biggest ones that made two of the biggest changes. The first major change was that it makes um, the makeup of the committee is to be majority of teachers. And those teachers are either selected or nominated or referred or whatever verbiage you want to use um, by the local education bargaining uh, local education bargaining unit. Uh, so the any com- committee has to be made up of a majority of teachers. Great. Uh, the other major thing that that oh, and uh, before I move on from that one, any decisions that the committee makes must be made on consensus. So committees out there, if you haven't started developing your consensus model yet now is probably a good time to do so. Uh, the second thing is that this LD92 did was to say that the student growth component that's in there, that significant factor language, all that other stuff that was in there regarding um, involving a student growth measure as part of the evaluation system, uh, in 2021, September 2021, that becomes optional. It's still mandatory between now and then, and so part of what these rules are going to do is these rules are going to, um, or proposed rules, I should say, are going to help clarify those changes. And on our Twitter and Facebook feed, you can find links to the proposed rule changes. Um, What I'm going to do very quickly is I'm just going to walk through what some of the language is in the proposed rules here, Um, and then what I'm going to do is we're going to have a kind of of cut off from this, have a little break. Um, For me, it's going to be probably a couple of hours. For you, it'll probably be only a couple of seconds. Um, What I'm going to do is that I'm going to listen to the public hearing, uh, talk to some folks, and then come back and see what happens. So the first step is going to be just, I want to say, is to go through what some of the rules are. A lot of what the rule changes are have to do with just eliminating adding language. For example, in the very first paragraph, um, says, quote, the purpose of Chapter 508, or which is the you know, PEPG statute, uh, the purpose of, uh, of this chapter and this rule is to, new language, support educator professional growth and development. That changes it from being that the purpose is to improve educator effectiveness. So it changes from improve educator effectiveness to supporting educator professional growth and development. I gotta say, I'm on board with that change. Um, it also adds some of the language of establishing opportunities for ongoing peer support and collaboration. If you remember back to 2018, they added a new era of new language about peer observations, 
support. And part of the requirements that every committee has to have and every plan needs to have now is a peer evaluation side. So they make it very clear from the very first paragraph that it's about professional growth, development, support, and collaboration. Those are some pretty big words and some pretty big changes from the way the law was originally designed. It was originally designed as an evaluation process, but it's really now the language is changing purposefully to be more about growth, support, development, and collaboration. Some of the biggest changes, of course, are going to be around the student growth piece, because if you remember back to when this whole thing went, though, went, went through, those of you who were here for that, that was some of the biggest fights uh, that happened between MEA, the MPA, school, uh, Superintendent Association, the DOE, the legislature, everyone involved was kind of like well, different sides of the coin on this, whether or not student measures of growth should be incorporated. So when it says, you know, the, what the plan must include, it keeps some of the following, you know, a professional practice model that must be applicable to teachers and principals, right? But then it changes. It gets rid of this whole language about um, a uh, system for the selection, development, review, and approval of individual educators' student learning and growth measures. That's all gone. The whole stuff about significant, of it being a significant factor, that's also gone. Um, and instead, they've made this, they've taken two very long paragraph bullet points and made it into one sentence. A process for creating and approving measures of student learning and growth if a school unit chooses to use such measures. So that's one of the things that a school unit needs to have in their plan according to these proposed rules. And I'll say it again. A process for creating and approving measures of student learning and growth if a school unit chooses to use such measures. That's a big deal. Um, later on it talks about um, it eliminates part of the for implementation procedures, the process for making and reviewing teacher of record determinations, that is eliminated from the proposed rule changes, and um, that no longer does the uh, revision, review of the, of the PEPG system or the steering committee, they don't have to continue to prove or to, or to ensure that the, that the plan is aligned with school administrative unit goals and priorities. That language has been stricken from the rules in the proposed document. You get down to section 7, student learning and growth measures, and there's a new added language at the very top. This section will not be required as of September 1, 2021. It still has all of the significant factor and teacher of record. So one of the questions that I have is that if it is not required, is it going to be one of these things where you can choose to do parts of Section 7? Like if we chose to do student learning and growth measures, does it still have to be a significant factor? To what extent do we still have to follow the teacher of record question? That, and that's some of the things that I'm going to hope to get uh, answers to um, before the end of today. And if I don't, well, then they'll be hanging out there, and I guess we'll find out for you later on. But all of Section 7 of the proposed rules or the rules of student learning and growth measures, there's no other changes in there except for that one line that it will not be required as of September 1st, 2021. So we'll have to wait and see what happens with that. There's a little clarification into the methods of how combining measures. So, quote, 
A school administrative unit shall adopt a method of combining qualitative and quantitative measures of educator effectiveness to determine an educator's summative effectiveness rating. This method may include, but is not limited to, um, assigning numerical values to each element in the system and weighting them to provide a single numerical result. No change there. This is all old rules. Section 2, there's a little bit of addition here. Uh, creation of a two-dimensional matrix with professional practice on one axis and a second measure on the other axis. This, the word second measure is changed. That's a new addition. It used to say student learning and growth. So it had to be professional practice on one, student learning and growth on the other. Now it's professional practice on one and some other measure on the other, if you're going to do that kind of a matrix. Um, there's some other smaller changes here and there throughout the language, but generally speaking, the biggest language is at the beginning there, and especially as it relates to the student growth and um, yeah, student growth section. So what I'm going to do now is um, I'm going to stop here and go and jump in on the public hearing that's happening. And I might jump in in the middle. You know, we'll see what happens. And um, I'll come back to you later. For you, it's going to be just a couple of seconds, like I said earlier. For me, well, it'll be a couple hours. But we'll see where we're at and see if I can get anyone to talk and see if I can find any answers for you of these questions. All right? Thank you for listening. See you in a minute. So here's what happened. I just came out of the public hearing. There were a grand total of six people in the room when we first started off. Um, two of us decided to give some public commentary or some questions. And I, I was one of them, to be honest with you. And the only reason why I, I wasn't planning on it, but the only reason why I did was because I felt kind of awkward uh, being there as only one of two people. So um, there's not a whole heck of a lot that's happening uh, and changes with all this. Just some clarifications um, in terms of the rules. One of those clarifications um, is uh, that I talked about was under uh, Section 7, uh, Student Learning and Growth Measures. It says there the section will not be required as of September 1, 2021, but um, my question is, can a district choose some of those, or, or is it all or nothing? So if they choose to go no measures, that's easy. They don't have to do anything under that section. But what if they do want to have uh, student growth measures? What do they do then? And do they have to follow the entire Section 7 verbatim? Um, and, of course, it was a public hearing, so there's really no questions on that. But I know that at least the DOE um, folks, uh, shout out to Emily Gribben, by the way, um, great job running that public hearing with all of two of us, um, three of us and a little later on. They'll, they'll hopefully take that clarification. Um, another area of big clarification has, that came up in uh, the public testimony, then part of the discussion, um, was on the issue of the makeup of the committee. Now, the question is, does it have to be a majority of teachers appointed? The, the committee has to be a majority of teachers. But here's where it gets kind of wonky after that. Is it a majority of teachers appointed by the local bargaining agreement, period? So that, like, it, or is it a majority of the, of the majority of teachers? So, can there be ten teachers as part of the committee that ten make up the majority, and of that, the local union appoints puts in six people? Does it have to be majority of that group? Um, or, so I think there's some clarification that's going to be happening on 
the makeup of the committee, the design of the committee, how it's all pulled together, because that's going to, uh, could cause some clarification. Um, part of the conversation that happened was um, around whether or not local units, uh, based on the intention of the law, could some local districts or bargaining units interpret the statute as being, well, nope, we can only focus on local uh, union members, or can it be focused on everybody? And that's a really big decision. That's a really big uh, uh, discrepancy there. There's, there's things that either way. If you were in a district where only 50% or so of your educators or teachers are part of the local bargaining unit, well, if the local bargaining unit has to appoint every single one and they only choose uh, members, local union members, they are leaving out opportunities for those teachers who are not part of the union. So I'm not saying that's happening. I'm not saying that's going to happen. I'm not saying that would happen. I'm saying that there's, clear, there's, there's a lack of clarity in the way that this, the, the rules are written that I think that the folks at DOE are going to be looking into to say, like, well, how can we make this more clear? And it might not be in this document. There might be, along with it, this is, this is the rules document. Then there'll be some guidance documents that go along with it. So what they are probably going to do is create the rules as close to the statute as they can. And then they'll come out and they'll say, well, here's the guidance behind this. Um, there was a question about what does consensus mean? And they'd like some clarification on what does the consensus actually mean? My district, where we do it, is a thumbs up, yes, I agree, thumbs sideways, means you know, we, I, don't, I don't love it, but we can live with it, and a thumbs down means I don't agree and we keep talking. And what my committee, the committee I work on, excuse me, uh, decided was that um, whether it's majority of teachers or not, regardless, the consensus model means one person, any one person in the room uh, can stop the conversation and keep it going if they disagree wholeheartedly. And everyone has that right, teacher, administrator. So that's really important, but that's that's how one district does it. That's not saying, you know, could a consensus mean a majority? Other districts could mean that. Um, it's very unclear, and so I think that's going to happen is in the guidance. What I'm hoping will happen is that uh, what they'll do is they'll just create a system of frameworks that districts can work within. Um, perhaps provide some examples. Uh, maybe just maybe some of the folks at DOE could reach out to some districts, or districts can reach out to them at DOE and say, here's what we do. So they could use those examples in their guidance documents. Um, but I got, but really, that was it. Uh, the entire hearing, as long as I was a part of it, I was there for all of like 40 minutes, something like that, 45 minutes. And um, yeah, there was not that many people there. So. Uh, you have until November 22nd to provide any public commentary on this particular rule change. You can see the rules. The links are posted on somewhere on our Twitter feed or Facebook feed. You can find them. Um, and you, so if you, if you want to provide public commentary on the rules, proposed rule changes, email jc.holmes, that's J-A-C-I dot H-O-L-M-E-S at maine.gov. Um, she's the one accepting the public testimony and commentary on this issue. You have until 5 p.m. on November 22nd to get that commentary. And for more information for us, go to our website, 
maineducationmatters.weebly.com. And that's where you'll find links to our Facebook pages, our, our Twitter pages. You want to be on the pod? You got something to say? You want to share something out? You want to showcase the awesomeness that you're doing? Let us know. There's a page that you can do that. By the way, we don't just talk about Augusta stuff. If you want to just talk about awesome stuff that's happening in your, in your district that, you know, other districts should know about, let us know. We want to be a showcase for you as well. Um, and if, as always, if you see us in the wild and mention the podcast, it is our obligation to get your picture and to put it up on our Faithful 17 page. So thank you very much for listening. Bye.